On GDC Podcast episode 28, we have Jason Della Roca, a longtime game industry veteran and co-founder of video game-focused incubator Execution Labs. He joins me, Chris Graft, publisher at GameDeveloper.com and editor-in-chief Alyssa McAloon to talk about the do's and don'ts of getting money to make your game. And it's not just about finding people with money, although that helps. This episode was recorded live during GDC 2021. Back in a sec. been in the games industry for more than 20 years you'll see him at the bottom half of the screen there as we just go through all his accomplishments so it'll be good <laughs> let's talk um, about him like he's not even here <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> was in developer relations uh, early in his career has been a hands-on early stage investor on more than 20 independent game studios uh, was executive director of the international game developers association for a decade regular speaker at all kinds of game events including gdc including a talk that just wrapped up like not too long ago, so you can find that probably in the on-demand tab up there. Uh, this week is giving a talk on pitching to VCs. I didn't read my list ahead of time. That's what we just talked about. Uh, and is helping people at GDC learn to pitch to VCs and game publishers. So let's welcome uh, Jason De La Roca. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much, Alyssa. Thanks, Chris. Uh, great to be here. Uh, super excited. And yeah, so, so I'm doing a few things this week. One was the <laughs> Being oh. Venture Investable, that, that just happened. And then later today, we've got, I think it's pitching publishers and tomorrow pitching VCs. And it's just like pitching and funding uh, galore uh, going on. It's a big day for you in particular. <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was looking you up in the in the platform where uh, this is all taking place. And it's just um, like Jason De La Roca um, leading up 10 different uh, talks. So, uh, <laughs> but it's four, always... Four, four. <laughs> It's always great. It's always super helpful coming out uh, because this this area that, that you cover is is something that it you know it's not something that comes natural to a lot of game developers. A lot of game developers are focused on on making games. So um, we'll get to that expertise in a second here. But just a little bit more about yourself, your, your background in the industry, and how did you end up being you know this uh, this uh, this entrepreneur, this this expert in uh, in game business and dev relations. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the career started years ago. I mean, sort mm -hmm. of mid-90s with dev relations on the hardware side, uh, more with the graphics and 3D chips and like, like sort of the, the dawn of the 3D era. I mean, I, I remember getting the call from Microsoft in the late 90s saying, hey, we're working on this X project. Uh, we think we're going to do a console. And, uh, you know, do you want to be the graphics chip that's in the, in the box and stuff? But that, that's sort of an And what era. did that become, Jason? So, yeah, <laughs> well, well our, 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 I was with Matrox, which actually was a Canadian uh, uh, graphics uh -huh. company. So we did not get selected for uh, yeah. for that. It was uh, Nvidia, but uh, and, and then and then you know, funny turn of events. I end up being the director for the IGDA, which was an amazing, challenging, you know, very fulfilling uh, journey. But after I departed. Uh, IGDA, I started doing this kind of community or ecosystem development, helping kind of regional industries to, to grow, to, to be more successful. 
part of that is around education and sort of talent flow. Part of that is around, you know, just good game design and good game production practices. But part of that also is business, marketing, pitching, you know, getting funding, all that kind of stuff. And I ended up doing a bunch of advisory stuff around setting up incubators and seed funds and so on. And then that led to the opportunity to do execution labs, uh, yeah. which at the time was really the first kind of venture backed uh, uh, incubator. You know, there, there weren't any others uh, going on at, at that moment. So we, you know, we really had no clue what we were doing. We just kind of made stuff up, you know, you know le learned from Y Combinator and Techstars, which were more yeah. generalist uh, incubators and accelerators. Uh, and, and that sort of forced us to really dig in and learn this, not only because we needed to know it because we were going to coach our teams that we were investing in, mm -hmm. but then uh, ourselves, we had to go in the world and get funding. So we needed to be venture investable and think about, you know, how could we get the funding we needed to then kind of turn around and enable the, the indies to do it. So, so that, that, you know, was kind of like the, the frying pan, the, the fire that really kind of forced us to, to get good at this and figure it out. Yeah, that's great. And um, side note, as Alyssa mentioned in chat, like drop in any um, questions in the uh, questions tab there for Jason and uh, we can, we can go ahead uh, and, uh, and throw those to Jason. Um, so at GDC, you're doing a few things um, like GDC pitch. Um, and can you explain what you do there that, you know, that helps um, game developers do a better job of getting funding and pitching sure. people with, with money, right? Yeah. So, so GDC pitch is a, it's a special event that we've been hosting at GDC for, I think, five, five years now or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, normally on the show floor, in the big uh, stage at the exhibit hall, uh, you know, where we where we have uh, um, investors and publishers and a jury. It's a bit like, um, you know, American Idol or something, right? Where no, no pressure up. at all. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's, it, we pack the room, 200 plus people. We have the jury members. Then you get up on stage and you pitch your game or you pitch your studio and they give you feedback and drill you with questions and everybody's watching. Uh, and, and those teams that are selected, they do get a bit of pitch coaching ahead of time. We review their pitch deck uh, and, and, you know, help them tweak it so that they're, you know, going to do, do a good pitch. Um, and so that's normally what we do at GDC proper. Uh, and it, and it's, you do it twice, once for uh, uh, VCs and then once for publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then last year we did it virtually as well, uh, which had its challenges. Uh, and, oh, then, yeah. and then, mm -hmm. yeah, th this year we we figured uh, rather than do actual pitches, we're running two panels. We have the VC panel where we talk about, you know, how to pitch VCs and, you know, what are they looking for, et cetera. And we've got three VCs uh, on that panel. And then we do another one, which is pitching publishers, which is the same thing, you know, how to pitch a publisher, how to reach out to them, what are they looking for, all, all that kind of stuff. So, so this year, as a sort of exception, we're doing them as, kind of panels, but we'll be back on the floor uh, uh, next year with the actual pitch uh, competition. Yeah, great. With those like split into the two different, very different like pitching approaches, do you find that like most developers know that they need to have different information, different pitch processes for publishers versus VC, or is that kind of like a revelation to a lot of the people you work with? Yeah, well, yeah, good, good point, Alyssa. In most cases, it's a revelation, right? In most cases, developers see it all as kind of uniform people with money, 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, 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 and I keep saying this, it's like, I have a missing money problem. So I'm going to go out into the world and find all the things that have money. And I'm going to knock on their door and say, Hey, can you solve my missing money problem? And they don't really kind of parse it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so uh, I mean, the, the talk I did at GDC, uh, the Indie Game Summit in 2018, was really about that kind of forking. That if you know, if you're doing premium stuff, go down the project path. Don't waste your time on the VC path. And same mm-hmm. thing if you're doing game as a service, free to play, you know, highly scalable online, then stick with the VC path, the venture path, and don't waste your time with with publishers. And so, it's not only you know have the right pitch deck for the right audience, but it's also do not have one for the other audience because you should not be pitching to them at all. Mm-hmm. Is there yeah. any overlap between those where someone should be like looking at both avenues or is it very just cut and dry like that? I mean, it's, I, I can't think of an obvious exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you may get that in the sort of a, a longer lifetime, right? So imagine we're a new studio and we're working on some Steam premium games. Okay, fine. We go pitch some publishers. We do a Kickstarter. You know, we look at our project sources, and then maybe that sort of sets the foundation where now we want to switch over to gas, and now we're going to make an MMO based on the characters from our premium games, and so now we're going to transform into a venture investable business. Okay, now we go look at VCs and say, hey, we were doing premium before, but now the, here's the shift that we're doing. And for this shift, now we want venture money. So, so I could see that sort of sequentially sort of having both, but you would mm-hmm. never do it in parallel. Yeah. So, so general rule of thumb is if you have a, uh, a gas game, games as a service game, that pitch goes to VC. And then if you have like a project, like, you know, premium game, uh, then that goes to uh, you fault publisher funding for that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, uh, yeah. So, so rule of thumb, that's the easiest sort of distinction. That's the easiest parse. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of make the distinction that it's a uh, project based funding versus company based funding. Okay. And, and the most typical or common sources on project is publishers and the most common source on company is VCs but there are other sources, right? On the project side, it's, uh, it's publishers, it's, uh, it's royalty-based funds, it's uh, often the government grants, depending where you are in the world, are, are usually project-based. Uh, Kickstarter is project-based. You know, there's other sources of project funding, not just publishers. And same thing on the equity side. I mean, it's mostly VCs, but there's also angels. And then sometimes you have incubators, accelerators that normally invest on the equity side and, and a, few, a few other sources as well. So as, as like a game developer, when do you decide, you know, someone might just be working on a project on, on their own in, in their garage or, or something or in their bedroom. Does that person, does it make sense for them to, you know, seek funding? Should, you know, what kind of person needs to be looking for funding or you would suggest goes out and seeks that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's less about the one person in the bedroom. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. that's sort of, you know, it's not a disqualifier or a qualifier either way. It's more about what is the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the, the investment sources, whether it's VCs or publishers or whoever, they, they, they want to jump in on awesome opportunities. So, you know, if you're, if you're a kid in your bedroom working on something amazing and it's a premium game and you go pitch that to publishers, and they think this is going to sell like hotcakes, 
and you're going to get the deal. It's, it doesn't matter that you're just one kid in a bedroom. Uh, you know, on the business, uh, the equity side, that, that's you know more rare that that VCs are going to back a kid in the bedroom, because it's uh, it's unlikely that you know that one person is able to build something that's online, yeah. multiplayer, free to play, game as a service with live ops, and you know all this kind of stuff. Right. One, <laughs> one person. I mean, uh, it can happen, but that's certainly more rare. Yeah, it's not going to be like uh, Clash Royale, like done by one person uh, just hanging out. But yeah. who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Minecraft, I mean, you know, like there's, there's always... <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, there's that one, yeah. <laughs> that little game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we have a, a quick question from Sean in chat um, who asks, are there any big differences with your Excel accelerator execution labs compared to Y Combinator, Techstars and all that um, versus uh, the gas slash VC pitching distinction you just talked about? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a, a very long run on sentence, but we didn't paraphrase it personally. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, so so uh, one, one of the challenges is that while there are many incubators and accelerators out there in the world, almost none of them are optimized uh, for game, you know, game studios, game, game projects, game companies. Uh, and so Y Combinator, you know, they've done thousands of companies by now. And I think maybe, you know, a handful were game or game related. Um, and, and same thing with tech stars. Like they just, they're doing general tech and AI and fintech and, you know, whatever. They're just not touching games because it's not a sector that they really uh, mm -hmm. understand. And so, you know, part of being a game specific incubator accelerator is that you actually, you know, know what you're talking about. You have experience in the industry, you have the right connections, you have the right access to the, you know, to partners that can accelerate uh, your success. Um, and so, you know, Y Combinator, Techstars, these, these, these programs just never cultivated that knowledge or those connections or, or those, those partnerships. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's kind of the main difference. Um, so, so like, what, what, what is the expertise that, you know, um, a game focused incubator, um, would have, you know, versus a more general, uh, you know, tech PC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so for example, uh, with execution labs, you know, we, we had, uh, a call it, a, I mean, we call it our, our, like our sort of ninja squad of like experts, right? So we had an executive producer. Uh, the 20-year veteran in the industry, you know, had shipped Assassin's Creed and other big projects, uh, you know, did small indie stuff. And so that executive producer would then coach the other teams, the other startups in the program, budgeting, scheduling, you know, prioritization, yeah. how to set up their backlog, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So they're giving like real hands-on coaching and, and reviewing of the production side. So that's, let's say, you know, the production guru helping you out. Then we had a marketing person. And she would spend time with you on, on what's your community planning and what, what are your processes on social media and how's this game going to get noticed and, you know, what's the overall launch plan, all the, all the marketing stuff, you know, she would work with you and help you on that. Mm -hmm. Then we had a UX ninja and that person would help you work on your playtesting plan and, you know, make sure the game was properly instrumented and you had your analytics set up and, uh, you know, would work with you on your surveys and, you know, just running all the playtest stuff. Super, super valuable. Uh, and then we had a BI person, business intelligence person, that then would start crunching the numbers and looking for patterns and play styles. And when soft launches were done or, or closed betas were done, 
you know, to analyze all the numbers of why people were playing longer or not and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, our, our assumption that was those four ninjas, no startup or no indie would have any of those people on their team, either because they didn't think of it or they wouldn't have the money to pay them. Mm-hmm. And so we had those people on our team and then they kind of serviced all of the, uh, the startups in the program so they can get a bit of that kind of magic uh, because we figured with that kind of support and guidance, they would have a better chance to succeed. And, th- and then you had like myself and, 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 uh, and my co-founders who were more the ones that were, you know, pursuing uh, follow-on funding and partnerships with the platforms and opening up certain doors, uh, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's so much that's more specialized. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very specialized. Yeah. Very yeah. hands-on. Um, um, so, so, yeah. Oh, can I steal one? Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Please, after you. Uh, Yeah. So building off of Sean's question a little bit had me thinking um, when you are a developer and you're about to like approach a venture like VC funds or something, um, what are what's the information you should get down before you even approach anyone? Because you don't want to be going to people who aren't specialized in games, I assume. What kind of information, what questions do you need to be like asking in your research to make sure you have what you need before you even reach out to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, p- part of it is understanding who to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we're, we're very fortunate now that there are dedicated game VCs, right? I mean, I, I mentioned a bunch of them in the, um, in the lecture just before. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of those funds tend to have people that understand games and or in fact worked in the game industry, uh, you know, as studio heads, as leaders, as team leads, etc. Now they've kind of shifted over uh, to the to the side of the business, and so that's extremely helpful. Like just just knowing that they have those people. Uh, so part of your research is scouting for who are the right funds to chase. You know who who should I who should I be pitching to? Mm-hmm. Um, and and some of that's obvious because there's a list of game dedicated funds, but there's also a growing list of non dedicated funds that are doing game investments. And so one one of the tricks is that every time you see uh, an investment story pop up on on Gamma Sutra or GamesBeat or or whatever, you know, so and so got funded five million dollars. So and so got funded one million. So and so got a hundred. You know, go and read read. And normally they say funding was led by you know Makers Fund with additional funds from Transcend and Play, you know, and, and Benchmark or whoever. Mm-hmm. Start logging that. Start keeping your own your own spreadsheet, and then you'll start to see patterns of oh, it seems like. You know, this fund is always doing the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the PVP games, and this fund is always doing the UGC games, and, the, you know, this fund is always doing this, and you start, or esports, right? Bitcraft is esport focused, for example. Um, and so then that sort of starts to give you the list of who you should be going after. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, and that's, that's a starting point. Yeah. I'm going to grab a quick question from, uh, from Nicole um, in, in chat. So uh, she's asking how, how have things changed since you founded Execution Labs? What are your lessons learned? Uh, you know, games have changed so much. I had a similar question lined up, you know, mm. you know, what was, how has the landscape for funding, you know, changed yeah. the past five yeah. 10, you know, <laughs> yeah. 20 years. The last yeah, well, year. So, so, yeah, that's a, yeah. Gr- a great, great question. And uh, I mean, we can talk the whole session just about this and what's changed and how the landscape mm-hmm. has evolved. But so, so the original concept for Execution Labs came about in 2011. So it's literally been a decade ago. Uh, and we got our funding in 2012 
first investments were done in 2013. Interestingly, when we first started, we had imagined that it was going to be a mobile-focused program. And so the very first batch of studios that we brought in, they were all kind of forced to work on mobile free-to-play games. Uh, but that was also kind of the time frame when the App Store was really starting to calcify. And, you know, Candy Crush has been in the top, you know, whatever since the beginning, you know, right. since, since that period. And so uh, it was just starting to become all the more difficult for small indie mobile, you know, games to really kind of break through uh, without massive amounts of user acquisition investment and so on. And so after the first batch of teams, we open things up and we say, listen, forget about mobile free to play, whatever platform, whatever business model, if you can make the case that you've got something that has potential, then we don't mind. We're, we're kind of platform agnostic. Uh, and then that kind of opened things up. We still got some mobile stuff, but then we started to get, you know, PC console and everything kind of uh, in between. Um, so that, I mean, that was an early evolution of, of our model and, and you know, we changed and, and tweaked a, a lot as well. I think what's changed in the landscape now is really the appearance of the dedicated game funds, uh, mm -hmm. right? When we were just starting Execution Labs, I think London Venture Partners was probably the only one who could really claim that they were a dedicated or, or a game-focused fund. I mean, there were other VCs doing deals here and there, uh, but but LVP was really the only one that was a, a game. Yeah, we've had them on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so David and and David and and that crew Ari and them have been doing this for a while now, um, and, and so the appearance of dedicated game funds has certainly helped. But what I would say has also been extremely helpful is uh, the emergence of angels, right? Mm -hmm. Angel investors tend to go earlier. Uh, and they're very important for the overall kind of health of an ecosystem, right? That, that you need that angel layer to be there to kind of, you know, take your sweat equity, you know, give you a bit more boost, a bit more cash to get you ready to go see the, the VCs. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, not only were there no venture funds focused on games, but there were very few angels. And the key about angels is they tend to emerge from successful companies within the given sector, right? So, so successful, I don't know, biotech founders who get mm -hmm. bought by Pfizer and whoever, well, they turn around and become angels in biotech. You know, successful entrepreneurs that build the clean energy startups that get bought by, I don't know who buys clean energy, then they turn around and become angels in clean energy. So the same thing, you need, you need game founders to be successful, get bought, have an exit, and then now they, you know, they have $100 million in their pocket. They buy a nice car. They, they go on a vacation. And they turn around and they become game angels. And so 10 years ago, there was so little activity in terms of the M&A side, the mergers and acquisitions, that you didn't have so many angels floating around. Whereas, interestingly enough, the past five years, this kind of crazy activity around all the studios being bought the thing that we don't ever really hear about is now all of those founders generally turn around and become angel investors, which then really kind of liberates uh, or, or loosens things up on the early stage side. Yeah. The same like Gamma Sutra articles you were talking about before, exclusively Gamma Sutra articles, uh, where you're like, oh, this funding round was led by so-and-so or so-and-so. You'll see those names pop up all the time where Blank, who founded like, co-founded Oculus or something and then left with a bunch yeah. of money. And yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah, um, but you're exactly right, Alyssa. You'll see. It's like Maker's Fun and LVP and Mary, who was, you know, or Bob, who was. Yeah, just some guy's name. And it's like, oh, this rich person knows what they're talking about. They made their money yeah. at it. And now they're bringing it back in. So I guess yeah. with uh, you talked about kind of like finding VC earlier and like what you need to know before going into those. How do you track down an angel investor? How do you get on their radar? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, you do the same trick right now. You put Mary and Bob on your tracking sheet because you <laughs> saw them listed as investors in that, you know, that that Gamma Sutra article. Uh, so that's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Also, you, you know, follow whoever Embracer is buying and whoever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, whatever all the other MTG, these folks, you know, take a note of what companies those were and who those founders are. And they're likely to be, you know, future or near future angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but angel investors, as a rule of thumb, tend to be close to you. And close can mean geographically close, right? So I'm in Montreal, and if I wanted to pursue angel investors, I really should be looking in my backyard mm-hmm. for angels in Montreal because angel investors tend to like to invest nearby. One out of just sort of an emotional attachment that I, I love Montreal and so I want to see entrepreneurs from Montreal succeed. So I invest in Montreal startups, mm-hmm. uh, but also from a legal tax time point of view, it, like it doesn't make sense for me to do cross-border investing because then the cost of tax accountants and lawyers, like it's just, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So, so angels tend to invest in their backyard, generally speaking. So, so close geographically and then close uh, um, network-wise. So it tends to be a friend of a friend, you know, a contact of a past colleague, you, you know, uh, an, an uncle, a family, like, like it, te- it tends to be kind of within my network. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest mistakes is that you'll have game founders who will say, I'm going to go look for angel investors in Silicon Valley. You know, and they fly across the world to go to Silicon Valley. And, and they're like, what, what are you doing here? Like, you know, like to go, like not, you're not ready for for us or whatever. You're too far. I can't be bothered to worry about you know some exotic uh, location. So, if you're at the stage where you're looking for angel investors, look close by, meaning your backyard or within your own network. You know, one or two degrees of separation. Yeah. So, um, I I I, I want to ask just so that we we get it out here ex- explicit, like, um, how like let's go to publishers for a second. How do you how do you approach a publisher? How how do you pitch to a publisher? What are the things that I should be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, so so I, I'll I'll plug the panel. I think that's later today, which is a whole session. Absolutely should on, yeah. on, on <laughs> pitching uh, pitching publishers. So there'll be a, you know a very rich conversation about that uh, mm-hmm. late, later today. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I, I've done uh, uh, sort of a pitch recipe, you know, like the ten slides of what you have to have. Uh, and, and two things, one is the actual pitch deck and the other is a playable build of the game, right? And, and so a big mistake that a lot of developers will do is they'll pitch publishers before a build of the game is ready. And, and the most, uh, likely outcome of an initial pitch meeting to a publisher is, Hey, Chris, great pitch. Looks interesting. Send us a build. If you're not in a position to send that build like tomorrow or next week after I'll just throw one together. Yeah. How hard yes. be? It's, it's, it's like, it's like, if you're like, Oh crap, I didn't know you'd want it. It's not ready for six more months. 
<laughs> then you kind of got them all hyped up and then they're yeah, going to forget about like you later. Yeah. So, so part of it is, is you know you're ready when you have a build of the game that you feel kind of confident to hand over to the publisher and say, yeah, he, here's what we have. Now that could be kind of a vertical slice. It could be one beautiful corner. It could be, you know, a prototype of a key mechanic. I mean, it depends on what the kind of game is, but mm-hmm. it has to be something you, you hand over. Then in, in terms of the pitch, uh, I mean, there's a few key ingredients uh, I mean, one of them is the game. Like, what is this game? What's the gameplay? What's the player doing? You know, all that kind of basic stuff. Many developers will stop there. They'll be like, here's our game. And they'll just talk endlessly about the mechanics and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you also have to talk about the business side. What's the price point? You know, what, 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 um, you know who, who's the audience? Uh, who, who do we believe our competitors are? You know, how are they performing in the marketplace? You have to demonstrate that your category, your genre is commercially viable, mm-hmm. right? And so, so for example, if I'm doing a, uh, I don't know, a point and click adventure and I'm asking for a million dollars from the publisher, but then I do some research on Steam Spy or SteamDB or VG Insights and I see like, oh crap, point and click adventures are like selling a thousand copies on average. Like there's a total disconnect in terms of the money I need to make my awesome piece of art point and click adventure, but then the publisher will say, but listen, uh, the last 20 point and click adventures all made $10,000. How can I give you a million if the likely return is 10,000? Right. So, so you've got to do a little bit of that homework. And, well, and in fact, you should be doing that kind of analysis a year ago, right? Not, not when you're preparing your publisher, but when you're starting <laughs> the project. Just Googling on your phone in the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> in the elevator on the way up. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's a piece of it, the sort of the business market, comp, you know, competitive landscape piece. And then the other is uh, like timeline schedule, like, you know, here's where we are, you, you know, how long of production is, when's alpha, when's beta, you know, when's launch, this kind of stuff, because a super important part for most publishers is just the timing of their slate, yeah. Right. You know, like I, I've talking to some publishers now and they're like, we're booked out through 2022. Mm-hmm. Like we've got our whole lineup of games already signed for this year and next year. And now they're looking for Q1 23. So now if you're a developer, it's like, oh, I'm almost done. I need to ship my game uh, in, in November. Yeah. Like, hey, sorry. Like, like we're not signing stuff like for a year and a half. So, so, so having that sort of production timeline and knowing what your schedule look like looks like is, is also yeah. critical. I want to pull a couple questions from chat if that's all right. Um, Bill can, can I can ask one? Can oh, I ask one yeah. more quick one real quick? It'll yeah, then we'll take next those. time. Yeah, so, sorry. That was like, um, yeah, can can I ask the same question about VCs? Like going going to VCs now. One of the things that stood out to me um, when I was listening to your talk uh, just earlier today was I think that you said, you know, it should be an idea for like typically uh, games as a service and a billion dollar potential. Is that that level? That's intimidating. So so how, how do you approach VCs and, and as like you just explained with publisher? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the pitch is a bit different. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm going after VCs, then I have to have something that has the potential to hit that billion dollars, meaning if lightning strikes, you know, and I've got I've got a PvP squad based, you know, online match whatever game, and and it get you know catches fire, there's inherently nothing limiting that from being the next League of Legends or Rocket League, you know, or or whatever, you know. Where, whereas 
a point and click adventure, even if it does phenomenally well and sells 50,000 copies, it's a huge success. You know, that's not the hockey stick style of exponential scalability that a VC needs to see. Whereas a PVP squad based online game, you know, that could be, that could be a billion dollars. Like, 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 you know, there's no, there's no inherent roadblock to that. So I have to make sure that my business model, you know, I'm, I'm on that racetrack. Doesn't mean I'm going to get to that finish line, but at least I'm on that track. Um, So the VCs tend to look really at the co-founding team, right? They're really looking at the founders. What's the complementarity of your skills? What are your pedigree? What's your pedigree? What's the mindset? Because ultimately they're, they're, they're backing you, right? They're, 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 they're entering a long-term relationship uh, with the founders. They're becoming co-owners in your company. They're buying shares. Uh, and so they have to believe that that you've got the right grit and perseverance and mindset and vision uh, to take this studio to that level of scale. Um, and then what they're really looking for is something called proof points, right? They, they want to see these kind of milestones that demonstrate that your hypothesis to the billion dollars is accurate. Okay. Right? So if you say, well, I think if we take... Uh, I mean, I don't know, ninjas in spaceships and make it a PVP asymmetrical something in space with anti-gravity, mm-hmm. like this is going to be so... so like, these are free, free billion dollar ideas here you're giving yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's like, okay, but how do I know that, like, we have no clue if it's just an idea. So yeah. then if you say, well, we built a prototype uh, and we we're able to demonstrate that anti-gravity ninja kicks is actually really fun... And then we built the second prototype that then had ninjas versus robots on the moon. And we invited, you know, t- and we had 10,000 people in our discord play the prototype and they didn't stop playing it the whole weekend. You know, now you're starting to show that, okay, maybe, maybe this team is onto something mm-hmm. who knew that ninjas and robots in space would actually be something fun. So, so you're kind of proving uh, that your hypothesis uh, is, is true. Okay. You, know, you haven't yet made the billion dollars, but you're kind of showing them these kind of points that, that you're going to get there. Uh, and so a combination of, you know, the pedigree and grid of the founders with some amount of that traction or proof points, mm-hmm. then usually is what then sort of gets a, an investor to convince, okay, all right, I believe ninjas, you know, we're, we're going to make it yeah. I'll put in some money to enable you to get to the next proof point. So at that in in that sector, it sounds like development of the the gas game is going to be like reasonably far along, where you do have evidence of an audience and and correct like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's um, it's it's possible that you do get angel investors mm-hmm. prior to having you know a ten thousand person closed beta. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's sort of the value of the angels where they're like, oh, well, we don't have the data yet, but I believe in who you are and what you've done. And I believe, mm-hmm. I look you in the eye and I believe you can achieve this. So I'll give you a small amount of money so that you can make the version of the prototype that we can test with 10,000 people. Because I believe if we do that, or if I fund you to do that, then that will unlock the next, you know, million dollars from VCs. So, th- yeah. I mean, I, I kind of covered this in the lecture this morning, but, but it's like the current investor is always thinking who's the next investor because the money I give you now is to enable you to get to the next proof point that convinces yeah. the next investor to invest. And if I, if I don't believe that we can get there, then I don't give you my money. 
Mm-hmm. And so okay. part of the, the founder's job is to kind of like daisy chain, like to kind of think like one, two rounds ahead to make sure that they're uh, planning according to these proof points, which in fact is often what developers don't do developers tend to be production milestone oriented. Like, okay, well, we're going to start, we're going to make 10 levels and 10 bosses. And then, you know, that's milestone one. And the next milestone is 10 more levels and three biomes. And it's a very production oriented, yeah. you know, sequencing where, you know, to investors, like what, 10 bosses, five, like, I don't care. What does that mean? Show me a 10,000 mm-hmm. person closed beta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're talking. Yeah. Alyssa, did you have a question from chat that you were eyeballing? I do. Yeah, a couple of them. Um, So we talked about this a little bit earlier with um, the difference between a VC that's focused on video games and a VC that's not focused on video games and how there are more video game focused VCs nowadays. Conversely, uh, Biljam in chat wants to know that there seems to be increased interest from regular non-game VCs in games as a service companies. Do you recommend founders stay away from these as investment sources as well, like non-game incubators? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of, uh, let's call it generalist funds uh, that are investing in games and they're fine as investors. Uh, I, I think there you're looking more at their overall track record. Are they, are they a good investor to startups or to, you know, to, to companies? Uh, and, and, you know, if they're generally a reputable good fund, then it's not such a big deal that they don't have deep game expertise. Mm-hmm. Often what will happen is you'll, is you'll, you'll mix them, right? So you might get uh, a game VC to lead the round and say, oh, we believe in this. You know, the, the company's raising five million, we'll put in two and a half of that. And then you go get a, a generalist fund to put in another million and then, you know, another game fund. You know, so normally... Uh, funding rounds are often uh, have multiple uh, investors in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes the generalist fund will look to the specialist fund and say, oh, well, if Makers is investing and they know what they're doing, then that gives me confidence that, uh, you know, th- this is a good deal and and, and whatever. So, <laughs> so you, you see that happening sometimes where the specialist fund kind of signals to others that like, okay, this is legit. And then even if the, the generalist doesn't have full understanding, they have confidence in the specialist fund. So that, that happens quite quite a bit as well. Um, I guess yeah. on the other other side of that, uh, Brendan in chat wants to know, are there scenarios where a creator should just not seek out funding? Yeah, well, listen, the best time to take someone else's money is never, <laughs> right? So, so if you can do what you need to do without taking external investment, then more power to you uh, and, and go for it. Uh, and, and, and you will always be better off to delay taking funding, right? Mm-hmm. The further you can get on your own steam, the further you can get without external sources, I mean, better. The reality is, you know, not everyone has the means to self-fund or, or to make those sacrifices. And so really what you're doing then is that's the trade-off is like, okay, well, to achieve our, our vision, you know, we need money now and we don't have it. So now we convince other people that give us the money mm-hmm. so they can back the vision. So, so yeah, the, 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 the kind of the funny answer is the best time is never, uh, you know, go, go do what you can on your own, but not everyone's uh, in, in that kind of situation. Thank you.
During our break uh, with Jason, we were just kind of chatting about uh, game developers who, you know, are kind of working their day jobs. They're, you know, at uh, maybe a major publisher they're, or developer, they're kind of tired of the grind and they want to get out and make their break in uh, the indie game development scene. Um, what mistakes have you seen there? What kind of wrong or right approaches you know, yeah. have you identified? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I see quite often, right? Where you get some AAA developers and they come up to you and say, oh, as soon as I get some 5 million bucks, I'm going to quit my job and go do this indie thing. I've got my own ideas and I'm tired of my boss and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is they're going to be waiting a long time. Uh, I mean, in the lecture this morning, one of the, the, or in fact, the initial roadblock I presented was that you have to go first. Right. The, the developers, the founders need to believe in what they're doing. They have to take that first jump. Essentially, they're, they're the initial risk taker and they have to invest first. And, and investment there can literally just mean I'm giving up my job uh, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm investing my emotion, energy and time. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm taking money out of my bank account necessarily. I mean, of course, you can. But uh, so, so the, 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 the founders need to be those first risk takers. They need to jump. You know, they can quit a year ago, you know, then sort of put things together and then start pursuing funding. Uh, but if you've still got your day job, there's no way. And in fact, I'll tell you a bit of a story from the early days of Execution Labs. When we first designed the model, our assumption was that folks would be quitting their jobs at the big studios to come do this. Uh, you know, because, and we're in Montreal where we're like, we have literally thousands of game developers and hundreds of studios. And, and that's kind of what happened. A bunch of the studios were, were that. It was folks who wanted to sort of chase the indie dream. We were there kind of saying, hey, jump off the cliff, we'll catch you. And a, and a bunch of folks did it. They, they quit and like two weeks later, the, you know, they were in the labs with their own indie startup. And what ended up happening was uh, a bunch of those folks gave up. They're like, oh, this is way too hard. This is even a bigger grind than my AAA grind. It's a different kind of grind. I didn't know I had to also worry about budgets and you know uh, corporate stuff and marketing and pitching and all. And, and a bunch of those very initial teams kind of gave up because indie was too hard and they went crawling back to the AAA you know, uh, gigs. Um, and, and so in that sense, they was more like they were dabbling or sort of t- dipping yeah. their toe. They weren't really committed. And then the next batch of teams, uh, some of them were ex-AAA folks, again, but they were ex-AAA folks that quit the year prior. So -hmm. on their own volition, they said, I got to get out. I got to do my own thing. They started their own thing. And then, you know, they needed some help. They needed support, whatever. And they found us and said, hey, can we be part of this? Can we pitch and whatever? And so there, the, the amount of grit, perseverance, sort of skin in the game was way more tangible than, than, you know, the team that's like, oh, I'm going to go do this. And then, oh, this is hard. And they kind of go back to AAA. Yeah. So it's uh, just kind of uh, like uh, just a certain, the, the level of commitment to, um, you know, to just take take the leap on their own. And then also also there, there might be an issue where like a company has a clause that says anything that you work on during that time belongs to them. You know, some of the more... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, so be careful. I mean, Chris, you, you, you nail it. Uh, before you start tinkering with your big idea, make sure that you don't have one of these really deep uh, IP assignment clauses. There's certainly contracts out there that says, 
anything in your brain belongs to us as long as you're employed. Some some companies will have you know say okay well if you're you know on work premises using work equipment you come up with ideas then it's technically mm-hmm. theirs not yours. But yeah, that, that, that's a tricky one. You need to make sure that if you bake something on the side, that in fact, it doesn't actually belong to your employer. Uh, of, yeah, because you're going to get into big trouble if then you go pitch VCs and they give you money and then your employer says, oh, well, that's actually ours. You know, and then mm-hmm. yeah, you're in all kinds Just of ask John Carmack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that whole lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few of them out there. If it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. Uh, yeah. Oof, <laughs> last five you. minutes here. Yeah, I want to pull. There was a follow-up from chat that actually lined up with something I wanted to follow up and forgot about. So thank you, Jesus and chat, for reminding us here. Um, following up on that question about when people should not seek out funding and your excellent quote, um, best time never. to ask for money is never. Um, there are other benefits when you sign on with VC or a publisher. You get access to like resources and expert opinions and just all these things like intelligence that can make your game better. Uh, if someone doesn't necessarily need to chase funding for money, is it worth going after publishers or VC for the resources they can provide you? Yeah, yeah. So the quick answer is yes. Uh, and, and in fact, I'll, I'll throw another kind of quote there saying that the, the next best time to say, take someone else's money is when you don't need it. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, because then you have leverage and you can have a good deal. But, mm-hmm. but it's sort of along these lines that um, maybe I don't actually need the money but I need these other strategic values that they can provide. Uh, so in the case of a VC, it could be that they have this deep expertise or they have access to talent networks or they have access to the next stage of VCs that you know that you'll need, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so kind of having them on your, what we call is having them on your cap table, it, there's value there. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give an example. If I'm doing esports. I mean, even if I don't need the money, I probably want BigCraft, you know, on my cap table yeah. because they're so deep in esports, so well connected. They know all the right partners that, that, you know, and just advice and depth of not like, like if I'm doing esports, I want, I want investment from, from BigCraft, whether I need the money or not. Um, and then just as one example, uh, and then on the publisher side, you know, it's, it's about audience alignment, right? If I'm doing a strategy game, you know, a grand strategy game, I probably want Paradox, right? Paradox has a massive reputation, a massive following uh, around grand strategy games. So I know that if I do a publishing deal with them, they're going to bring that strategy audience. And I mean, it doesn't guarantee the success of my game, but it's, you know, increases the probability that my game will succeed because mm-hmm. they can kind of bring that audience and expertise with them. So, so this kind of goes back to some of the core things I was talking about around empathy and, 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 and even, Elisa, what you were saying before, like understand who you're pitching to and what their needs are and do your homework uh, so that if I'm working on a strategy game, Paradox is at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. But, but Codemasters is not on that list at all because Codemasters does racing games and why would I ever bother pitching them a strategy game? So, so part of that is that, that empathy exercise. Yeah, grand strategy racing game, grand racing strategy. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe there's a game there. The ideas, the billion dollar ideas are flowing here on the podcast. <laughs> so, all right. Well, this is about where we have to say, uh, say goodbye. Yeah. So thanks again, Jason. Uh, you're a great guest. Thanks, thanks a lot so for much. Watching. Thank you so much, Chris. Great to be yes. here. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Jason. Bye everyone.